It's been a while since we last had an episode of The Third Web. This has largely been due to the increased workload of my new role at the Definity Foundation. My plan is to wrap back up to weekly podcast releases, as well as to produce more video content. I have a handful of audio interviews which I'll be releasing imminently, as well as about 100 filmed interviews which will start appearing on the Third Web YouTube channel. The Third Web is also getting an image makeover, with a new logo, website, and as you will have noticed, new theme music. I was never quite satisfied with the track I was using before, and this one is lifted from the State Change podcast I made for Consensus in 2016 and 2017. For today's episode, we're hearing from the team behind Zelica. Zelica is a network sharded public blockchain platform that uses practical Byzantine fault tolerant consensus and a proof of work algorithm to select the participants therein. It was developed by a team with ties to the National University of Singapore. In this episode, we discuss Singapore as an innovation hub, the design principles behind Zelica, and trends in scalable blockchain design. This interview is nearly a year old, but the theme of scalable blockchain design is even more relevant now than it was at the time of recording. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Arthur. So to begin with, let's start with introductions. Uh, Amrit, would you please introduce yourself and then uh, and then you, Shinchu? Sure, sure. So my name is Amrit Kumar. I am. Uh, I, did, I did a, a PhD from India, France. My uh, focus of interest was essentially uh, applied cryptography, security, and uh, privacy. Uh, so after after finishing my PhD, I came over to Singapore at NUS National University of Singapore, where I started working with Pratik Saxena as a postdoctoral researcher. And um, I've been working on blockchains uh, since I have uh, since I moved over to Singapore, and then I, I got uh, got an offer to to come and work for Zilliqa, and that's why I'm I'm in Zilliqa right now. Hi, hi, I'm Xingshu. Uh, I'm CEO of Zilliqa. Uh, my background is mainly from uh, cybersecurity for software systems. So during my PhD research, I used to work on how can we make browsers, web browsers, web applications more secure by redesigning them. And afterwards, I also uh, spent some time working on how can we make sure the software that controls larger systems, such as smart grid, transportation systems, or Internet of Things, more secure. And, you know, I developed personal interest in uh, blockchain as well. And, uh, of course, you know, I, I was not so technical savvy at that time on blockchain. But I started to read about, you know, uh, the research uh, from Predict Saxena's lab because I used to work with him very closely during my PhD uh, time. And 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 I, I really I was very intrigued by the research produced by by you know Predict Law and some others from from his lab. So we started to talk about you know how how can we make uh, blockchains more secure, more scalable, things like that. And, until you know uh, Law had a research paper on how can we make blockchains very scalable using sharding. And then Predict Saxena established a company to realize uh, to realize this technology in in more commercial settings. So that's when I, I started to you know join uh, their job uh, at this company called Antren. We started to develop this scalable blockchain technology into some commercial trials. So that's how I started working on this. And of course, more recently this year, we started to migrate this technology onto a more public and open blockchain platform. So that is Zilliqa. The audience, I would refer to the Epicenter 
uh, the Epicenter podcast in which you guys described the way that Zillica works in depth. So there's no real point in rehashing all of that stuff. Although th- there is some some background we can go into just to, just to frame this particular conversation. But I think there's a whole bunch of cool stuff we can discuss today uh, that, that kind of fleshes out what's going on around Zillica and the role or the positioning of Zillica in the blockchain technology development tree. And I think that the, the first thing that we should probably dive into or have a look at is the place where Zillica comes from geographically, because there's a huge amount of innovation taking place in Singapore right now. And, uh, and it seems like Singapore is fast becoming one of the key hubs of blockchain development in the world. I mean, uh, Vitalik spends a lot of time there himself. Hi, yeah, um, we really see many interesting projects uh, coming out of Singapore very recently. I, I think, you know, maybe maybe it's very difficult to tell exactly why. But, uh, you know, from my personal experience, I really see, um, you know, the, the research and innovation from the from the universities uh, are very important. You know, sometimes in, in the past, for, for example, this, uh, this uh, research outcome still has a way to go become, uh, before it can become really ready for uh, commercialization. But more recently, especially with uh, the blockchain technology, so there, there's really very little gap between what can be, you know, uh, developed in the research lab and what can be demonstrated to sort of the community because it's really an integral uh, community now. So that's why, you know, when, when there's, there were very good, cool ideas that demonstrated security, scalability of a blockchain, it's very easy to sort of get recognized by the community and then people are motivated to, say, spend some time even outside their core research uh, to develop these ideas further to make them, you know, more, more productive. So that's my personal view. Yeah, and I also think there's a, there's a large community here in Singapore which is really, really, really fascinated by blockchain technology. And I think the whole community is, is, is something that's really supporting um, new startups, new ideas, and you know, all, all technology that's coming from universities as well as from individuals. So I think it, it, it's not just university, but it's also the community that has, that has grown in Singapore over, over a period of, period of time. Also, I think the, the you know, regulator here is very you know, sort of friendly. They understand what's going on. Uh, they are very open to dialogues between different parties. So, so they are very helpful as well. I remember that uh, back in 2016, was it the, the start of 2016, there was the Digix uh, token launch or token generation event, as, as we're calling it these days, it seems. And that was the first major event of its time and it came out of Singapore and then we saw this tremendous uh, this tremendous support for uh, for blockchain innovation in Singapore and, and that drove things even further and um, as well as project Ubin which is this idea of of uh, a fiat backed currency that involves not a exactly a collaboration but at least teams working with Quorum coming from Consensus, uh, Corda coming from R3, and then an IBM team working with Fabric and Hyperledger. And this uh, this generous and kind of all-inclusive attitude toward uh, pushing this the development of technology in that region seems really unique, and it seems to have made Singapore possibly the biggest city in blockchain these days. 
Yeah, I think I agree because, you know, I'm fortunate to be familiar with, with both. So Digix was, was a major event and, you know, they were one of the earliest teams in Singapore who successfully launched sort of a platform, a public platform. And I think the Digix guys are especially dedicated to sort of fostering, uh, fostering this community as well. So they are not just focused on their own technology, but they organize meetups, you know, they talk to different people, help new startups grow uh, in this um, community as well. And the project Wubing is also phenomenal, I would say, because it's, it's sort of uh, uh, spearheaded by, by the central uh, bank in Singapore. And almost all relevant parties, including banks, you know, uh, technology solution providers, or financial services uh, institutes, so they are all involved. So this, this project, I think it's going to be uh, very important not just demonstrating the, the feasibility of using blockchain uh, to set sort of represent currency, but more importantly to get different parties together, uh, not just you know in discussions, but also uh, realizing some of these uh, proof of concept uh, projects to see how different interfaces today can talk to each other. Now, I mean, we've got this tremendous institutional buy-in and uh, in Project Dubin. You guys have emerged from uh, which university? Uh, National University of Singapore. Right. So you guys have, have really got your start in, uh, in the National University of Singapore. And there are some other projects that have come out of there as well. Yes. So uh, I guess the most famous one now is uh, the Kyber Network Project, you know, which is a decentralized exchange for cryptocurrency. So why are we seeing so much? What is different with the universities in Singapore and universities elsewhere? Like we also have um, tremendous stuff coming out of uh, coming out of Cornell, right? You've got Bitcoin NG, which was an interesting proof mm-hmm. of work enhancement. Mm-hmm. You've got Snow White, the proof of stake implementation, and then you've got T Chain, which is which is a cool trusted hardware implementation that uses um, or that relies on Intel SGX. So they've got a bunch of cool stuff too. And it seems like so much blockchain innovation is really focused on these two and these two two uh, universities. Uh, if if I may add to this, I mean there is there's another university, I mean uh, EPFL in Switzerland, who are also working really hard on on this blockchain space. Um, we had some other works from ETH from Zurich, uh, from uh, the team led by Surgeon Kapkun. So I wouldn't say they, I mean, only Singapore and Cornell are focused on this, but there are a bunch of other, other universities around the world who are working on, on, on blockchains. There's another company, I would say, which has strong collaborations with, uh, with universities is IOHK, which I think is, is working on, on proof of stake and other protocols as well. That's right, because um, Nikos Bentonitis was involved in, uh, in their, univer- their academic outreach program. I actually spoke to him just today, funnily enough, and we were talking about the importance of, uh, of universities in pushing the core technology forward and in collaborating with enterprise and startups for building actual implementations of that technology that, that can be used by uh, people in the real world, productizing it, essentially. Turning out to Zilliqa... You guys use this cool, uh, and, and as we've mentioned before, you know the, the listeners can uh, can check out the uh, Epicenter Bitcoin uh, podcast for an in depth in depth look. So we don't need to really go deep into how it works. But as a bit of background, you guys use transaction sharding, but not state sharding. So all nodes need to store the state of the entire network, but only some nodes need to actually process transactions. And 
you have a heterogeneous network with some nodes that uh, that route transactions to transaction processes and different nodes that actually do the transaction processing. Do I have that right? And could you elaborate a bit on the function of these two different types of nodes and uh, and how their their subsystems work? Yeah, sure. So I think I think you're you're perfectly right when you when you when you explain this. Uh, I will just add a few couple of points there. So uh, yeah, so there are two levels you could say two kinds of nodes in in, in Zilliqa. One which is going to be um, the nodes you could call them as worker nodes. So they're going to work on transaction processing. The other nodes are like uh, you know nodes which are going to tell you what to work on. And uh, so they are kind of while 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 they they I mean while they together form the network they have different roles I would say to some extent. So um, the, the the worker nodes kind of are given the task to do, and the leader node will leader nodes will kind kind of tell you what transactions should you process. And um, and they're selected through two different proof of work uh, mechanisms. Yeah. So currently we are using two different proof of work mechanisms, but. Uh, the idea, the idea is pretty simple. One is that you would want a way, I mean, essentially, you want a way to elect people, right? Elect nodes in which, which, would, which would either go to the working group or go to this committee group where, you know, which decides, the, you know, which kind of handles the administration part of the whole thing. Now, there are two ways of doing it, as I, as I previously said in my AP Center, is that, you know, you could, you could ask, um, you could do an election for, for everybody at the same time, or you could decouple them. And the good thing about decoupling is that then you can decide on how frequently you want to elect new members in the administration administrative uh, group and how frequently you want to elect members in the working group. So yeah, you can have you can have two different proof of works there. Do they use the same cryptographic puzzle? Yeah, they 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 they, they use the same algorithm, which is uh, the same algorithm used in Ethereum right now. And so, is that not an attack vector? Uh, you mean in terms of uh, decentralization or in terms of uh, security? Uh, both. Okay, so um, because we are using a proof of work, of course, there's there's a risk of uh, decent uh, centralization because you know if if you have if somehow you buy a huge mining rig with a lot of GPUs, you might be able to you you will have an advantage over others into getting on either into into uh, the administrative committee or the working committee. But security-wise, I mean, of course, this decentralization gives you. I mean, if 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 your centralization gets affected, there's some risks towards security as well. But the only solution that uh, we that uh, the, the only alternative solution is is to find another way to prevent civil attacks, and that would be POS. And POS has its own problems as well. So there's no you could say there's no silver bullet to prevent civil attacks right now. But in, uh, your your essential solution is that you have a registry that that changes over time, a certain a rolling registry of uh, of uh, of leader nodes or master nodes. Yeah, you're right. So uh, at any point of time, you will have let's say a uh, hundred nodes in your in your in your administrative committee, let's say, and then regularly one of those members will have, will be pushed out, and a new member will come in. So even if you let's say if you're able to you know. If you have a huge mining rig, you will have some advantage, but you know eventually you will be pushed out. So there's in um, in Bitcoin and traditional proof of work systems, the selection of the node that is going to produce the next block is done is made using uh, using the the proof of work puzzle. 
in the case of Zilliqa and other, I mean, proof of stake uh, systems, uh, you know, Zilliqa is proof of work, obviously, but in proof of stake systems, they use this registry system as well, this committee-based system. And so I'm wondering, and, and, and as we, we hear often, uh, proof of stake is considered necessary for sharding, but Zilliqa has sharded with proof of work. Is it this registry system, is it this committee-based system that allows sharding to take place? And is that the critical step that Zilliqa has taken that allows it to, uh, to do transaction sharding? Uh, well, I don't think proof of stake is necessary for sharding. You can very well do sharding without proof of stake. And one example is, 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 is uh, Zilliqa. And the core idea is that you need a way, first of all, to divide the network, right? So that, you know, if you have 1,000 nodes, you can, you can build a group of, let's say, 100 nodes, and you can have 10 of those groups. Now, the question is, there are two questions here. Number one is, how do you divide that? So how do you take an, uh, an initial network and divide that network into subgroups? Number two is, once we have done that, what is going to be your consensus protocol in each subgroup, right? You can take proof of a stake as well to... With, with, with some clever mechanism to do the, uh, the network sharding, you mean dividing the network. And you could also use any you know, custom protocol that you have in your mind within a sharder as well. So you could even use proof of stake, for instance. There's no reason you cannot do that. Again, you can, use also, you can also use proof of stake for, with some clever tricks um, to do sharding as well. So there's no specific reason why you have to use proof of stake. But the point I want to get at here is that the mechanism I think of when I think of the way that proof of stake allows sharding is that you have these pre this predefined set of validators that for, for our purposes, let's, uh, let's call the committee. Uh, with Zilliqa, you guys have found another way to select a committee of validators. Other proof of work systems do not have this committee. And it seems to me that this committee-based model is what allows sharding. I'm somewhat non-technical, so I just want to understand if I have that right or if that's a, um, or if that's, if I'm missing the, the forest for the trees. Okay, so ex I mean, if you look at what other protocols or other projects are doing uh, when they use POS, they're essentially doing what is called the delicate POS. What you are referring, I, if, if, I, if, I, if I may say that, is, is this committee-based system. So what happens is that you select a bunch of people, let's say 100 or 200, and then you run this POS within that, that set of validators or committee. That's one way of doing it. Uh, the other way that we are doing in Zilliqa is, is, is different. So we say that, you know, we can have multiple of those committees, not just one. And if you have multiple of those committees, you can do transactions, uh, transaction processing in parallel. Now, of course, you can imagine a way where you can have multiple of those POS-based committees or multiple of those POW-based committees. And Zelika is going for the second one, the POW-based committees. So why proof of work? I mean, it seems like... Well, actually, no, I just want to d d uh, drill into that one a little bit more before we move on. So when you say multiple uh, POW-based committees, you can have multiple leader committees, multiple uh, delegation committees that delegate uh, transaction and work to the worker groups. Uh, we we don't actually do delegation here uh, as as per the delegation in uh, delegated proof of stake. 
So here, I mean, we use proof of work to sort of decide who will be in this, you know, um, sort of high level committee and which in turn decide who will go into each individual committee to do consensus protocol. So that's where we use uh, proof of work. Uh, there's, there's no delegation. So uh, almost every single node in our network will be uh, part of this uh, process to determine what are the transactions to be accepted for the next block. So is there a specific reason why you've opted to go with proof of work? Okay, so uh, proof of work has its own, you know, merits and demerits. But the good thing about POW is that we know all its weaknesses and its strengths. Uh, if you look at POS, it's still very nascent, you know, it's, 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 it's still very new. There are only a couple of, you'd say, projects which are using it. And, and uh, so, so there's, there's a difference between, you know, a well-established method and a method which is relatively new. The other difference is, is, the, is the threat model. So if you look at how POS works, essentially you, you have to have this, I mean, essentially you put some collateral and then if you misbehave, then your collateral will, you know, will be given to the rest of the, rest of the nodes in the, in, the, in the network. So this is more like a crypto economic model, right? Which is slightly different from what POW model is where, you know, it's just about computation. So, you know, if you have a good hardware where, which you can use to mine, then you don't have to worry about economics that much. For POS, it's slightly more complicated. So the threat model is different. And the reason why we went for POW is because it's, it's established, we know its strengths and weaknesses, and because it works in a, you know, in a, in a different model. Is Zilliqa's current structure set in stone, or is this a stopgap that you see you might uh, innovate on in the future and, say, upgrade in the future? Yeah, so um, as, as I previously said, we, have, we, have, uh, we use POW only for civil resistance. So, you know, we, just, we, just, we don't want nodes to come in and join your network freely and then span or spawn, you know, million nodes. So for that, we use POW. We are not using POW for consensus as in, let's say, Bitcoin. So we might in the future, if you think that POS is, is, is you know, is, is, uh, is, is, has established itself as a very secure protocol, then we might switch from POW to POS. But our underlying consensus protocol is still going to be PBFT, which has its own benefit over POS. One is that it works in a different, uh, different uh, and I would say way more harsher uh, security um, adversary model, which is like in, in, in PBFT, you can have Byzantine nodes, in PVPUS, it's more like a rational nodes that you are handling with. The other, the other guarantee that you get from PBFT, which is not there in POS, which is finality. So at the end of the protocol, at the end of, end of, end of the consensus protocol, you are sure that the block that has been proposed by the network is going to be the final block. So you won't need confirmation on top of that, which is not there in POS. I should point out that at the time of this interview, few proposed proof-of-stake implementations offered state finality. However, Definity's internal testnet does now, and Ethereum's Casper also aims to. So we'll replace POW. We might replace POW by POS, but our consensus protocol is going to be PBFT. Okay, so now I'm just starting to see the true brilliance of Zilliqa, and that is that you use proof of work to select your leaders. Those leaders use practical Byzantine fault tolerance, which is very similar to what Ripple uses, well, I mean, that is what Ripple uses, right, uh, to select uh, the canonical version of events, and then you use uh, those same nodes to uh, determine 
which nodes will actually process transactions. And then I presume there's some, some reward for the transaction processing nodes as well. That's right. Wow, that's amazing. That's an, an incredible synthesis of so many different angles of thought that we've seen uh, develop over, uh, over the last, I guess, yes, well, I mean, you'd have to trace it all the way back to the genesis of, uh, of both Ripple and Bitcoin. Uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I would say it's a, it's a, it's a good mix of, of uh, POW and classical uh, Byzantine fault tolerant uh, protocols, which, is, which are currently used in, let's say, Ripple and Hyperledger, for instance. But the advantage that we have is over, let's say, these existing protocols is that we can... So if you look at Hyperledger, you know, it's, of course, it, it works in a different uh, setting. It's not a public blockchain. But the nodes that actually run the consensus protocol is, 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 is you know, that the, the number is very small. It's, it's less than 50, I would say. In our protocol, that, that consensus group is of roughly, is of a size of around 600. And despite that big size, we are able to, to scale, which is, which is phenomenal, I, I think. Because practical Byzantine fault tolerance allows really tremendous uh allows well, it, it allows far greater scale than other uh, other byzantine fault tolerant solutions i i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that uh if you should you can compare pbft or bft with respect to uh, with, with with pow for instance so if you look at a pow kind of consensus protocol as in bitcoin let's say you do a pow per block and pow is very computationally intensive while if you look at PPFT or in a, even, even to, in a general, general context, uh, a general P BFT protocol, they are not computation intensive. They are only communication intensive. So you have to look, communicate a lot. And, uh, but we have clever ways uh, such as uh, collective signing and all that kind of stuff to, to help us scale from 50 nodes to let's say 600 nodes. And so what is the transaction throughput per, uh, per shard? So um, we have uh, our, our latest experiment was done with uh, around 3,600 nodes, which is roughly six shards. And we reported a throughput of uh, 2,500 transactions per second. And so that scales p with the number of shards uh, in the network. Yes. 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 So it, it scales linearly with the number of shards. That's absolutely incredible. And of course, the security of the entire network is reliant not on the the individual uh, the security of the individual shards. You don't have you're not communicating across a uh, trust membrane when you communicate between these shards. You're just you're always relying on the proof of work that was used to select the leaders that themselves then select the shards, select the members of the shards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I really find it interesting because if you look at how other protocols work and what they do is that the more nodes join your network in other projects, you know, it, be it, it becomes more complicated and becomes uh, difficult to scale. And it, it's completely different in Zilliqa, where if you have more nodes, your, your throughput is going to increase. And that's a huge difference. That's a fundamental difference, I would say, wouldn't you? I would. I definitely would. In fact, I'd almost say that that is a quality that is necessary for one of these platforms to actually have if you're going to be a contender for, let's say, the architecture of the, uh, the third web. I, I think, you know, uh, there are different possibilities. What Zilliqa provides is, is one of the many possibilities to have a very high throughput, high volume platform 
uh, that you know people can run secure apps on that. Uh, uh, we wouldn't rule out other possibilities, especially you know um, you know different different distributed systems which may or may not require the same level of security and flexibility as a blockchain. So, looking forward, what do you guys expect to see in terms of future innovation in the blockchain space? I think there are still many interesting but uh, also challenging problems uh, ahead of many of the blockchains. So scalability is one, and even within this uh, scalability direction, there are many you know sort of points that people are still thinking about working on. Uh, for instance, um, proof of stake is very promising. It saves the energy uh, u- utilization, uh, it improves uh, energy utilization, it saves energy cost. But, you know, there are some concerns we already discussed in terms of centralization and security models. But uh, can, can we work out something, you know, that, that is, you know, sort of tapping on this benefits of POS, but at the same time addresses such concerns? So this is a very promising direction to have more research on. And another, another uh, interesting aspect in terms of sharding is something called steady sharding, which Zilliqa is not using. Uh, there are also challenges there, but again, if we can somehow address these challenges in a, in a practical way, uh, state sharding will even improve uh, the scalability and throughput of a blockchain. And this is just about scalability. There are also other interesting aspects of, of the blockchain. For example, privacy. Uh, you know, people like Monero, Zcash, they are all working on this. Uh, how do we sort of integrate some of these ideas into blockchain and make them very very useful and make them universally applicable to different needs when we want to protect different sorts of data. So, so one, one, one example is, you know, how, how do we protect uh, 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 genome data, for example, when, when you need to store them, when you need to process them. So I think, I think there are many interesting uh, problems ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we have scalability, we have privacy, we can also talk about governance uh, issues in, in blockchain space. But there are the other problems, you know. If you look at the blockchain space right now, it's very geeky, right? It's it's not coming to the masses. So there should be a way, and we should all think of a way to to bring it to to general mass. And I think if we don't do that, you know, we are go we are not going to get a wider adoption. And one way to do is that we build ecosystems around around blockchain space. You know, you could think about apps which re- people in the real world could use, and that app could be based on blockchain, for instance. So do you have any favorite applications of blockchain today? Because we, we don't see this, you know, you know we, we, exactly what you asked for. I mean, personally, I've been waiting for it for years and, and I've seen it promised a million times, but I haven't seen it happen. So do you see an avenue that is leading to these consumer or even business-oriented uses of public blockchains? So, um, you know, I think that the most popular uh, public blockchain application nowadays would be something like you know token generation. So that means it's like an auction. Uh, it will accept bids and then it will allocate tokens. So beyond that, uh, I I agree with you. You know we are still expecting more interesting applications which which should should appear. Uh, one of these applications we are working on now is um, a digital advertising marketplace. So that means, you know, we, we will try to transform the existing uh, sort of world gardens controlled by a few big players in this marketplace into a more open-ended system 
deployed on Zilliqa blockchain. So it, this has several benefits. So number one, it's more open. You know, it, it's not sort of uh, controlled by a few players and people can use the data to do analytics. And on the other hand, it's, it's, it's more, more fair. You know, it, the rules are sort of very transparent, determined by the whole ecosystem, not just manipulated by, by one or two guys. And it can sort of disintermediate uh, a few uh, unnecessary middleman layers so that, uh, you know, it's going to be more cost efficient. So this is just one of the examples uh, we want to work on on Zilliqa. Uh, I think these examples are very, are sort of, you know, very natural to think about on, on a blockchain. But the thing is, before Zilliqa comes out, existing blockchains are just not able to process the huge volume of data, you know, de- required or desired by such applications. So that's what Zilliqa wants to play a role in and, and demonstrate there are indeed interesting applications, uh, you know, applications relevant to our daily lives that can be deployed on the blockchain, not just in the crypto space. So in this conversation, I really wanted to dig down into this idea that you need to be able to scale with the number of nodes added to your network and that this committee model of selecting leader nodes is essential for actually producing the system of the future that will actually drive uh, that will actually drive this this third iteration of the the value bearing internet. One of the other major subjects that uh, keeps coming up in this podcast is the idea of two sided marketplaces that are mediated through blockchain economic systems uh, or, or crypto economic systems as they fashionably seem to be called. But one of the problems that I keep seeing with these systems is that they have a token that acts as an intermediary uh, value transport layer, but they don't have an effective way of reducing supply of that token or causing people to actually hold on to that token so that when the usage of the network increases, when the velocity of the token increases, so does the value of the token and the value of the network. So are you referring to, you know, using blockchains such as Bitcoin as a store of value? I'm, what I'm referring to is systems like, I don't want to single anyone out. <laughs> 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 no, my, my, what I'm yeah, ref- I agree with you. The point is that if you build just single, you know, a blockchain that, that caters to a single application, you are going to be very limited. You cannot build a, a, a real economy around that. So there should be a way where you can have multiple marketplaces attached to a same blockchain, and there you could have interaction. So let's say I'm doing something in one marketplace, I could t- take that token and, and use the same token in another marketplace, which is attached to the same blockchain. And if you have multiple of those marketplaces, then you can only flourish the entire ecosystem. If you have just one marketplace sitting right on top of blockchain, nothing else, uh, that's going to be a uh, you know that's going to be difficult to handle that. But the other challenge is giving people a reason to hold on to the tokens that power these marketplaces or power these services, so that they increase in value. And um, and I just haven't seen. I see many many platforms that just don't really do this, or they they do this in a very clumsy way uh, that doesn't really require the token, or that could be done without the token. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are many projects where you may not need tokens at all. But I also kind of feel that uh, if you only think about tokens as a value, 
then people will keep on storing it, you know, keep, keep hold on, I mean, keep, we'll, we'll hold on to it, but we'll never use that. And if, if nobody uses it, then, you know, you won't have a, a, a working marketplace. So people, you want people to, of course, hold on, but you also need people to use it to, to get services, for instance. And if you don't do that, there's, there's going to be a problem. So how do you guys uh, plan to solve that with your advertising marketplace? I think, I think you know, at, at a very high level, if the utility, as, as Amory just put it rightly, if the utility of these tokens or the utility of the whole platform is very limited, and then, you know, people feel trading, it, trading the tokens will, will be more beneficial than actually spending the tokens. So that's why uh, on Zilliqa, we want to build really interesting uh, applications that support our real-world businesses. So this is, you know, at a very high level. So technically speaking, the volume that we can process on, on this platform is, is huge. So people are no longer sort of bound to compete uh, for, for these seven, seven transactions a second. So people can send many more transactions every second. So, and, and on the other hand, you know, as we mentioned, the energy costs for our miners are, are much lower. So that means the average uh, gas fee, the average transaction fee uh, on Zilliqa is going to be much, much lower. So then people may think about, you know, I can actually use this platform at a very low cost. So this is different from many of the existing platforms where if I really want to send a transaction, that transaction must carry, you know, lots of weight. Otherwise, even the transaction fee is not going to be worth it. So that's one key difference uh, from the technical uh, design of Zilliqa. Hey guys, I think uh, we, we've covered plenty for an episode. I think um, through uh, this uh, this discussion, even though it's short, I, I love how we just like managed to just smash right into the heart of the most interesting stuff here. Uh, and I think I, I only had an inkling of how Zilliqa worked, and, and it's been great to have you guys answer some of uh, some of my more kind of technical questions. Yeah, it's our pleasure as well. It's very nice chatting about these issues. Thank you. It was really really good to be here. All right. Well, uh, I'll wrap it there. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Bye-bye, Arthur. Take it easy, guys. That was really amazing. If you'd like to learn more, visit zillica.com. That's Z-I-L-L-I-Q-A.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.